This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Hey, and I'm your host, Jason Glick. How are you doing, Jason Glick? I'm doing good, John. How about yourself? Oh, not half bad. How in the world is the world of Jason Glick's comic reading tonight? (laughs) Well, in comparison to to, um, almost, um, not quite every um, podcast I've done before, um, I... I want to talk about stuff that um, actually hasn't been collected in um, trade paperback form because, you know, like the trade paperback is like my format of choice for for comics. I mean, I do not like having my content drip fed to me. Um, it's like in um, in it's like in in thirty two page um, doses um, every month. I tried that for for a while um, back in the um, back in the early aughts when. Um, it's like back when, back in the days when um, Grant Morrison was writing X Men, Peter Milligan gave us X Statics, and I thought, hey, you know, Marvel's never going to collect this stuff, but so I might as well just start reading it now. And um, much to my surprise, hey, Marvel—that's exactly when Marvel started their trade paperback program, ramping up in full steam. But and so like, I could have um, just read this stuff in trade paperback form, but you know, I got to read um, Morrison's um, X-Men in um, monthly installments, and that actually worked out really well, especially when all that um, bullshit was with Zorn started in his next last storyline. And uh, I say bullshit because of what Marvel did with the character afterwards, but that's a whole other story right there. <laughs> and um, it's like, but I, but, but then, but with, yeah, but then when um, Marvel started, like, you know, putting everything in trade paperback form, I realized, hey, you know, I don't need to actually buy this stuff monthly. I'll just Hey, just get, wait for the trade. So that's that's kind of how I operate. I mean, like if stuff is going to be collected, you know, I can just wait. I can just hold the fuck out as long as possible if I know the um, the trade paperback is coming. Like I waited, I waited like a year when between Blade of the Immortal releases because I knew that Dark Horse was um, eventually going to release a new collection. This is around the time of um, Autumn Frost um, when um, when when Shira came back for the first time. In, it's like in the storyline. I thought, man, it's like, when is this going to come out? It's like, do I want to just bite the bullet and get the single issues now? But no, I've got to stay strong, man. And plus, I don't think that they had all the issues I wanted um, when I was like, looking to buy them all at once on Dark Horse's website. Still, that's that's another issue, too. But, you know, there's been lots of stuff um, that, is, that just slipped through the cracks um, over, it's like over the years, um, both from, like, from Marvel and, and DC. Um in fact, like the one series that actually got me to um, like, consider this podcast was was something that, that um, when I was um, hanging um, hang out with some fr- when I um, visited a comic shop in um, in L.A. Um, with some friends, I found um, this one series called The Black Lamb from Timothy Truman. Now, Truman, uh, if, like if you've read read my posts and listened to these podcasts, um, Truman um, he he illustrated one of my favorite comics of all time. Um, Jonah Hex, Two Gun Mojo, um, and it was written by Joe R. Lansdale. But um, he's also probably better known these days from writing the um, the Adventures of Conan um, for Dark Horse, both in the um, it's like in the latter half of the um, initial fifty issue run, and also the entirety of um, Conan of the Sumerian, and also the um, the um, ongoing series of miniseries um, King Conan as well. They've been great fun, and so when I saw that this this series. Um, the Black Lamb, which I'd heard about um, back in the 90s when it originally came out, back under DC's Helix imprint. If you don't, if you've never heard of Helix, Helix was DC's um, science fiction imprint because while Vertigo um, was basically their mature readers stuff, it kind of dabbled in, fa- in you know, 
in fantasy like Sandman or just like reinvent, mature reinventions of existing um, concepts like um, like Animal Man or like or the, or the Doom Patrol. Like and that's and um so DC's figured hey you know why don't we just like do a science fiction only um like like imprint to cover all stuff that Vertigo doesn't no- normally go into. Well, short long story short, Helix didn't quite work out. Well, but it was its, it's existence is justified entirely um, through through the through the fact that it gave us um, Warren Ellis's Transmetropolitan, and um, Transmetropolitan, as you know, was so good that uh, as even though as Helix felt, uh, went by the wayside, um, Transmetropolitan was was absorbed by um, Vertigo, and so Vertigo now had a um, science fiction story to to run with, and now it basically became just like the the catch all for just like you know DC's mature reader stuff in any genre. But hey, talking about the Black Lamb itself, the Black Lamb. Basically, a um, futuristic story about a um, a vampire hunter hunter. The title character is someone who um, like who works for like the creatures creatures of the night. You know, just um, freak, freaks of science, vampires. It's like all these um, creepy, creepy crawlies that that um, popularized through through fiction and mythology. And it's his, and he and he basically um, it's his job to just um, take out the people that are hunting them. So it's a nice, clever, high concept. That um, that was that um, that I was looking forward to reading because it was Truman, and you know, hey, Truman's art is in it's like is in fine form here, but the uh, stories are just kind of like uh, they feel they feel kind of standard standard issue in the sense that the it's lots of um exposit- expository dialogue, it's like just telling things telling you like it is. It doesn't have the the great the gloriously overwritten grandeur of um Truman's um. Like Conan work, it's like, like he just hadn't apparently just hadn't um, you know got gotten the hang of things yet, and um, so again it has like interesting stuff like the um, like like the, like the character's origin as you find out that it's um, takes place during the, during the Viking era, and how um, you in order to become like a truly um, fearsome vamp- vampire you actually have to drink the blood of your own kind, and his his origin in that regard is suitably tragic. We've also got some other fun, fun bits like the, uh, it's like the werewolf clan who are you know good old like good old southern southern boys just like it's like the um, just like Jonah Hex and all it's like and also you know like Dracula himself also um play it's like plays a little role in this because you know hey it's a vampire story you have to have, have it's a vampire story um, in a in a creator owned continuity in the nineties so he had to kind of play a role at some point overall it's like. It wasn't bad, but you know, you kind of wonder, like, you know, why hasn't the series been recollected by Dark Horse, considering all the work Truman has done for them over the years? And I don't know, maybe he just wants to hold on to it for for whatever reason. Or oh, Dark Horse, the guys at Dark Horse have looked at it and said, "Eh, you know, maybe we're not going to force the issue unless Truman asks asks us about it anyway." But that's just one thing. In fact, and also, um, like one of the things that the, uh, the that they have um, that Marvel and DC have trouble collecting is our, our, our anthologies. Even though it's like you know some of this stuff would just be just the right um, size for it, like the um, Marvel Knights Double Shot, which basically had the uh, clever idea of just putting um, you know just um, two stories um, featuring the characters under the Marvel Knights imprint, which you know consi- consisted of just like some of the darker Marvel characters, um, like you know like Punisher, Daredevil, um, Nick Fury, Elektra, you know char- characters like that. And it's just you know just um, showing showing work by established creators 
and um, up and up and coming ones as well. And um, even though like some of the stories in this um, four issue anthology um, were collected, it's like there's also some stuff that wasn't. And, like the, um, the lead story in the in the first issue is probably the best one of the entire entire run, which is basically a Garth Ennis um, Punisher story illustrated by Joe Quesada. It's got a clever um, setup in the sense that. It's like a Punisher visits a uh, visits a gangster who was um, going for his um, annual dent, um, dentist appointment, and it's all told. And it's told from the perspective of like of from the um, from the gangster's mouth. So basically, you see the camera of the uh, series as showing out from the back from his teeth, and just showing you the Punisher as he's doing his work in the dental office, and just all the horrible stuff he does to the guy's mouth. As the puncher pumps him for information, it's like over the course of the series. This one was, um, I believe, um, collected in one of the um, Punisher. Um, Punisher hardcover is collected um, in this Marvel Knights Punisher work. And um, if you've got that, then yeah, you know how you know how good it is. Um, as for the other one, the rest of the series, I mean, that same issue has a story about has a Daredevil story from Rob Haynes that basically has on the the Daredevil um, tracking down the person who, uh, like, like the Kingpin's dirty laundry, literally. And we find out how just that the Punisher's got that, um, sorry, Kingpin has um, really big underwear because he's a big guy. It's not all that clever. Um, the next next issue actually has a story from Grant Morrison that, from what I understand, has never been recollected and involves um, Nick, it's kind of like a, uh, it's a Nick Fury story that's kind of meta, it's like a meta take on what, on how, on what it takes to be as cool as Nick Fury, as someone is, as we've shown the efforts of this one agent who is trying his best to be as cool as Nick Fury, but um, but failing in the sense that he's um, gets, he's getting caught in these ridiculous situations where like, he winds up with his pants down, about about to suffer from explosive diarrhea, changing a flat tire in the rain on on the highway. It's like and just showing you, and it's just like it's a treatise on like just how no one can ever be as cool as Nick Fury. It's funny, it's fun, but, you know, I don't think the only pride I can take in this is that, hey, I've got, on this issue, a um, Grant Morrison story that most people will have never read in their life. Ah, but still, it's not all that, not all that great compared to some of the stuff he's, uh, he's some of his long-form work. Um, also, this issue is a um, Man-Thing story from Ted McKeever, which has some nice art, but is otherwise, meh. Um, the third issue has, um, a a Greg Rucka, um, um, Greg Rucka, Greg Horn story about Electra, which is kind of, which is fun in the sense that it has on um, the character just um, um, taking out a uh, a troubled Hollywood production, and even if um, Horn's um, painted art is just like way too photorealistic for my tastes, it's still it's still um, an interesting story that, that focuses on the bond between um, you know like that has to exist between Electra an assassin like Electra and the person who hires her in the first place. The other story is from um, Peter Gross and Ryan Kelly about um, Cloak and Dagger. It's a very heavy-handed um, racism story about the monster that lurks in the basement that um, they think is just about a, um, a metaphorical story about racism, but turns out to actually have um, you know, actual, you know, hey, there actually was a monster in there, and now it's loose, and now we're never ever going to hear about this again in the Marvel Universe. So there you go. Last issue has um, has work from Gene Ha about uh, about he has him doing an Iron Fist story, and because 
it's Gene Ha. It looks fantastic. Um, could have used a bit more um, Iron Fist style um, martial arts shenanigans, but but oh well. And then the other one, final final story is a um, setup for the Marvel Knights team book um, by um, John Figueroa and Al- Alberto, Alberto Ponticelli, which yeah, you're not missing much there. Oh well. Anyway, it's like that's that's what that was Marvel Knights double shot, and then um. You know, one of the series I was looking forward to rereading was um, Angel and the Ape from the writing team of Howard Chaikin, Howard Chaikin and um, David Tishman and artist Philip Bond. Um, Chaikin has written a lot of classic works. Um, it's like, it's like over the years, um, I still need to check out his his seminal work, um, American Flag. But he, he continues to do um, lots of work these days with. Artists, um, Starosis Garth, Garth Ennis, Brian Bendis, and um, Matt Fraction, currently on the uh, Satellite Sam series through Image. But um, it was in his 80s that he had his heyday, though he and um, Tishman had a good run of doing stuff through Vertigo. And um, this revival of Angel and the Ape, about you know, a socialite who teams up with an ape in order to um, you know, solve crimes, you know, it's like... It's like I, I remember liking this back when I bought it um, over ten years ago, and the publishing publication date was um, October two thousand one. I remember picking it up a couple of years later. Um, it's like it's, it involves them trying to figure out the the reasons behind the, the death of a, of a supermodel. And if you like, um, it's like reading about um, you know, it's like a um, a um, blonde kind of bimbo um, socialite and a um, and a and an ape who also um, draws comics for DC in his spare time, and also how they feature characters like Bambi Dextrist or like a uh, or a policeman who loves um, who secretly lusts after Angel, who's in Detective Comics, and they're um, fil- and they're saying they're filthy, and they're and they're they're filthy um, like short person um, receptionist. Yeah, you might like this. It's like it just reading it again. The it's like it it just felt um, just. Fairly immature and just like kind of sophomoric. I mean, I don't know. It's like I hate to think that I've matured that much in the space of a decade or so, but um, it just didn't didn't excite me as much as before. It does have some great art from Philip Bond, um, who has a great cartoonist style that I've loved. I've loved um, seeing in action over the years, especially with work through Grant Morrison, which we'll be talking about more more of in a second. And that that definitely helps helps out the series a lot. But um, at the same time, though, I can kind of understand why DC hasn't really been um, like you know eager to um, reprint this. Uh, then again, um, you know, I I do remember liking um, Chaikin and Tishman's um, American Century series, the two volumes of that, that that were released. But maybe I need to reread that and um, find out whether or not that's only just a you know nostalgia talking, whether or not it was actually any, any good, and whether or not you know hey maybe I do need to pick that up at some point. Anyway. Speaking of uh, Philip Bond, um, he's like I said he's created, he's done a lot of lots of stuff with Grant Morrison over the years, from um, three issue miniseries of Manorama to the um, first arc of the final volume of Invisibles, to the one that everyone remembers him for, um, Kill Your Boyfriend, which basically involves um, it's a story of a girl of an ordinary girl in um, it's like it's like in, in high school in England who's just like prepared to go through life just do, doing whatever. So she meets this um, this troublemaker who basically who inspires her to just go and it's like go and rebel and um, break break social, social norms and just go on a crime spree throughout 
throughout the country. It's like it's it's like it's great it's great anarchic fun. It's like and I love the way that um they just like they're screw with your um, perception. Like Morrison just like has a lot of your perception of how this is supposed to go. I mean, it's like ideally, it's like you'd think that you know they're just gonna have, um it's gonna be like a fun journey of self discovery. But no, there's actually like real danger in the sense that you know, hey, there actually is boyfriend killing in this. In the sense that you know the guy uh, actually gets it shot through the chest, and there's also like lots, lots of killing, death, and sex, both gay and straight. It's like over the course. The course of its run, it's like it's, it's a great, it's a fun anarchist work. It's like and uh, it's like yeah, right right to this very very last panel when um when our main character shows you that you know she hasn't lost any that she hasn't lost any of her um bite over the um it's like over the course of her adventures. Um, checking this out, it apparently um this apparently is available to buy on Kindle through Amazon store. It's probably available on a Comicsology shop as well. So, like, if you can't get a like a physical copy of this, like I have, yeah, um, then hey, it's like you know, digital is your is definitely the way to go here. And it's worth noting this is published as part of DC's um, Vertigo Voices um, initiative, which I don't know. Um, it's just just a uh, I guess it's just a uh, a a, um, a chance for them to to give them um, their their star writers. Um, it's like they're like a chance to just do stories in whatever like in the format they want. This um, the cover date on this is June nineteen ninety five, and um, that's also um, around the time that this um, this that the other um, Vertigo Voices one shot I had. There was there were three in in all. Um, the other one by uh, Jamie Delano and Sean Phillips. Um, Hell Eternal I haven't got yet, which I should. It's got um, art from Sean Phillips, and he's awesome. The other um, one I have, though, is from Peter Milligan and Dean Ormston called The Eaters. It's about, it's about a family that likes to eat. Humans. Yes, it's all about, it's about cannibals. And um, Milligan um, does, does this whole, like, we're tweaking, tweaking the values of, it's like, of, of av- everyday America shtick here. But it's, see, but it's fun in the sense that, you know, they're, um, that um, he's playing, that he's playing up the whole, um, you know, it's like we're the great average American family, but hey, we also eat people as well, and it's it's fun because he plays it up in a kind of like a tongue in cheek kind of way for most most of the volume, most of the um, the issues run. And it's about forty, yes, it's a forty eight page one shot. It's like and uh, it's like and it's um, it's like and it's good, and and I like the way that it's uh, Milligan in his in good form here. He, he has lots of fun skewering the, um, it's, it's like the, um, like, it's like, um, like traditional, um, American family values here. It's like, and also just like fun surrealist bits, such as the, um, like American apple pie, um, group, just, um, awarding this family, the, um, family of the year. Cause apparently like everyone says that, Hey, you know, these people are great. There's nothing wrong. There's, there's nothing, um, abnormal about them at all until they, until they start eating. until they eat the guy who gives them the award good times and um it does it it is kind of you note that um that as much fun as uh, milligan has with the, with the concept he basically he also just um pulls the rug out from under the reader at the very end when we um find out that when we see um the the uh, the family actually kill someone 
like in order to um, provide dinner, and it's, and it's done all its gory glory. And these characters who have just been like you know fun, fun-living antiheroes for most of this run, kind of stand revealed as um, you know really horrible um, characters, just for all for the brutality of their their work. And yeah, it's and also because it's Milligan, some of these characters speak in um, really arch um, expository tomes and the, 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 uh, the daughter goes it's like no it's like I have hormones and feelings like all other teenage girls it's like okay no kid speaks like that that is pure Milliken and you know even though this is definitely one of his this is from his um, from one of his golden this is a work from his golden period it's like it's still got you're still going to need like a certain amount of um, suspension of disbelief in order to fully get into it not so much, though, is um, Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon's um, Heartland. Now, I, I'll admit I didn't do too much research here, so this could have been reprinted at some point. In fact, I'd be surprised if it wasn't, because the fact that DC that um, Vertigo would have left a uh, work by um, the creators of Preacher, as it's trumpeted on the cover, um, go uncollected? Madness! Anyway, Heartland is technically a spinoff of Hellblazer, in the sense that it focuses on um, Kit Ryan, um, John's girlfriend from Garth Ennis's arc. But if I didn't tell you this right now, you would not know it at all because all it is is just like um, it's just a story of um, of Kit, um, her like her younger brother and her younger brother and sister, and her even younger sister, and just them, you know, just living living out the day, their days in Belfast, circa um, nineteen ninety four. As Ennis um, points out um, at the uh, at the end of the end of the volume, in the um, foot in the uh, afterward, he writes, "This is still back in the day. This is back in the day when um, it's like when the, when um, England still had maintained a heavy military presence in there because of it's like because of the troubles with the IR with the IRA, and that um, you know things were that at at the time that things were coming out, like the issue came out, like things were good but slipping back towards um, awful." Like at the same time, so it's it's a it's a window into it's like into the, into Ireland at a specific point in time, but also it's fascinating to read in the sense that it's Ennis um, just just working with um, completely normal characters, um, not in a um, not really in a wartime not in a um, strict war setting like um, no not, it is kind of like kind of a war setting depending on your um, how you view like you know Britain's. Um, occupation of of Ireland but it's but you're you're focusing on just the average people just living it's like during like in the Serenade how and how they adapt to these, these these situations and as well as also um fleshing out um Kit's um family his, history as well and her like her mother like who did her best to um raise her raise her kids in the in the shadow of the fact of her um of her like it's like of her um alcoholic and abusive husband it's like it's easily well, I think one of, one of the best things Garth Ennis has written, and if you like, only know Ennis from the um, over-the-top um, antics of, like, of his work on Preacher, Hitman, Punisher, or The Boys, you read Heartland, and you realize that this guy is really capable of just telling an ordinary, character-driven story. And so, you know, even though like, he admits he made a mistake in announcing um, his immigrant story, City Lights, um, years before, um, or the fact that it hasn't come out yet, um, it's like the fact that you know to see him actually just, you know write you know normal people and in uh in a relatively normal setting it's like you know it's like i you i want to see more of that at some point i hope we hope we get to see it though 
Um, also, um, on a completely different note, though, uh, going back to the um, opposite end of the spectrum with superheroes, um, these uh, Marvel also had their um, Max imprint, which is still best remembered for giving us, you know, Garth Ennis's Max incarnation of publisher of Punisher. God damn it! And um, but also they published a lot of other um, see a lot of other um, true readers incarnations of um, characters as well. Garth Ennis gave us his um, Max version of Fury. Um, Brian Azzarello gave us a um, black exploitation version of see of Luke of Luke Cage, and um, Greg Rucka um, gave us this final um, solo miniseries for um, Black Widow um, Yelena Belova. It's like in a three issue arc that has not been collected yet. Um, my surprise, considering um, Rucka's that everything Rucka has done for the company is just about has been collected at this point. Now, those of you who May not who may only remember um, Belova as kind of the um, as some as a minor villain from Bendis's um, Avengers run. Um, she was um, she was introduced in the um, Mar- in the in a Marvel Knights Black Widow series from Devin Grayson and J G Jones as the um, as the new Black Widow that Russia had trained and was looking to um and was to take take the title of Black Widow away from um, Natasha Romanoff. In the first two miniseries, um, that didn't work out too well, but um, they actually, but they actually did get better as, uh, as they went on. Because I mean, the first one was by Devin Grayson, second one was written by um, Grayson and Greg Rucka, and um, it featured art from, from the fantastic Scott Hampton, which gave it a look that you would not expect from a, uh, from Marvel. From Marvel Comics series, and then you had this. Then you had this um, solo Greg Rucka written series featured art by Igor Corday, which should get, which um, Chad um, Belova investigating the death of one of her trainers in uh, Moscow's um, CD um, under um, underbelt CD um, S and M sex club scene. It's like it's it's like it's it's a the st- purpose of the story is basically to have um, Belova fi- uh, finally assert herself as the true heir to the Black Widow, and it does that just, just fine. I do think that um, that record does kind of like overdo the whole um, you know, sex club type um, type stuff, because you know, hey, it's a mature reader's um, superhero stories. So let's you know, push that kind of stuff. But he still um, uh, just, um, does a good job of um, fleshing out um, Belova's um, let's see, her anxieties it's like, and um, reticence in taking like, and um, accepting her role, and um, you know, doing, and finally, um, but also finally, um, overcoming her issues and becoming the black, the black widow at the very end, with a nice little twist at the end to show you that hey, you know, if he, they wanted to go more into this, they could have. So, there you go. There's more, but um, some of the stuff that I kind of hoped to um, talk about didn't actually arrive in time, though I will say that. Um, you may hear me po- talk about this in a um, buried treasures of manga um, podcast in the future. Not this, not this coming future, because if this future plays out the way I plan it to, you'll be hearing about um, buried garbage of manga um, in a, in a couple months. But we'll see how that goes. Um, John, um, any thoughts on your end about about all this stuff? Well, I just kind of assumed that volumes. You know, well, trade paperbacks were you know collected volumes that, but I didn't realize that there were ones that, and it kind of makes sense to me now that they would only have certain issues, you know, and that would be it, you know. 
I didn't realize that uh, you know there would you know that there wouldn't be. I thought trade paperbacks were just you know simply everything was turned into a trade paperback, but I guess not. You know, especially with you know uh, some of your other artists, maybe even lesser known artists who probably don't have you know um, maybe a large publisher behind them. Maybe they would be the ones that have that would only have their works in, in single issues. Yeah, it's like the uh, it's like the, the rush to put everything in trades um, has. It's only been it's kind of recent in comics history. Actually, I mean, it's only been it only kind of started around the turn of the millennium. Like, like talk, talk about. It. I mean, like I, I remember back when the uh, one of the things people said about the whole um, you know the first rush that. I, about um, hey, you know, comics aren't for kids anymore. Like they are, they mean for everyone. This is back in the '80s when um, Watchmen was being published, and everyone said, "Well, what else do you have for us?" I said, "Well, we got Watchmen. Uh, we got uh, a couple volumes of Swamp Thing. Like they, they didn't. Nobody had any um, any stuff for people to publish. But now, like um, the trade paperback is kind of like the um, the preferred form that everyone wants to read their stuff in, and to the point where like a lot a lot of stuff winds up." Um, being tried as being written for the trade, as in the sense that you know, hey, this is going to be you're going to want to read this so that it reads better in a trade than in a um, single issue form. And I, I don't, I say fuck that line of thinking. If it's good, mm-hmm. it'll read well in both forms. Exactly. Um, I have a coworker um, who recently uh, left for better opportunities. But uh, he read The Walking Dead. He bought all the volumes, and he continues to buy them, you know. So, you know, but he's never picked up the individual issues or anything like that, you know. Doesn't make a trip down to the comic store every week or whatnot, you know. Yeah, it's like those those days are like kind of behind me at this point, except for you know special cases where I'm where I'm out with friends, like I was at, in L.A. a couple, couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or when I'm like pillaging um, online stores. To um t- to dig up uh like a manga that has yet to be republished by Dark Horse. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, well that's cool. And um, and uh, well, uh, do you know what you're going to be talking about next time? Wonder Woman by Brian Azzarello and Company, because the uh, the final volume of that should be arriving um a week from tomorrow, actually. Oh, cool. Is this a part of the New Fifty Two publications? It is, and it's basically the. Uh, the uh, fi- like it's the final final volume, and um, it's probably gonna be the last um, Wonder Woman I read, last solo Wonder Woman I read for a while because it's, because um um Azarello is being replaced by um David Finch and his wife. Ah, gotcha. Well, we look forward to it, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Comet Picks by the Glick. All right, later. All right, bye.